0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 89, and my name is Michael Bradley. This time, we will conclude our look at the 18th storyline from the Superman radio serial. If you have not heard episode 88 yet, I want to strongly recommend that you go back and listen to that one before... Continuing on with this episode, as I explained there, because the idea to split this into two episodes came rather late in the planning stages, I ended up doing all of the synopsis for this 15-part storyline last episode, and this time will be uh, pure commentary and notes. So if you haven't heard last episode, you may be a little bit lost in just what I'm talking about. So if you haven't heard it, go listen to it now and then come back and wrap up with this episode. So before we get into the commentary itself, I have just a few bits of feedback to go through. Um, I skipped over email last time because I knew that would be a longer episode and I ended up Rambling for like five minutes at the beginning of the show Apologizing for the lack of episodes Which I still feel bad about But anyway, uh, first up is a message sent to the Facebook page By Jim Bowers Who wrote simply Keep up the good work, Michael And thanks, Jim Uh, Jim is the webmaster of... Do people still use the term webmaster? Anyway, he is the owner and chief editor, at any rate Of capedwonder.com which is a really great website that celebrates Superman the movie as well as the life and legacy of Christopher Reeve, um, both as Superman and beyond. I first came across Jim's website, gosh, I don't want to say a decade ago, maybe it wasn't that long, but uh you know seven eight years ago um and i'm I'm just always amazed at the images and other artifacts that he finds. He also recently launched a new gallery full of Superman imagery illustrated by José Luis García López, who is an artist – I I never really get tired of his artwork. Um, I I grew up in the 80s, and honestly, aside from Christopher Reeve, uh, García López was probably one of the first, if not the first – imagery of Superman that I saw because he did all of the promotional material through the 80s uh, his his artwork is still used today on promotional material and he's, he's constantly creating more promotional artwork for not just Superman but the entire uh, DC line of characters um, I, I would say even if they don't know his name Pretty much anybody on the street is at least familiar with the look of his artwork because it's just been so uh, widely spread on you know T-shirts and posters and <laughs> office supplies and a- anything you can think of. Uh, but thanks again, Jim, for the good word, and, and thank you for your site as well. Next up is an email from Caleb York who wrote, Hey, Michael. Just listen to your first episode of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman. And I should probably pause and point out that Caleb sent this uh, probably about a month ago. But because of the delay in recording and whatnot, I'm, I'm just now getting around to reading it. Uh, on the show, anyway. Uh, but he writes, Sorry it took so long to get to it, but I had listened to your Batman podcast first. I finished that and loved it. I'm really sad, though, that you guys aren't doing Legends of the Batman anymore after only two years of coverage. But still, it was good, and I think I'm going to like this Superman one as much, if not better. You really know what you're talking about, but you also admit that you don't know everything about the Man of Steel, which I really like. Anyway, I hope to keep listening, and I hope you keep podcasting. See you in Metropolis. and Thanks a lot, Caleb. I'm I'm really glad you're enjoying the show, and I'm continually... uh both amazed and surprised at the number of people i hear say they discovered this show through legends of the batman but are still enjoying it even though they are possibly tilted more towards batman in their fandom in my experience people that are huge fans of both characters are fewer in number as the characters especially in their modern incarnations tend to draw quite different crowds uh but still, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy enjoy the show, Caleb, and, and thanks very much for the email. I hope to hear from you again after you've gotten through uh, the next 88 episodes, I guess it is. And finally, this is a website comment from Suzanne McNeil, who has sent uh, feedback into the show in the past. And if I remember right, Suzanne is another one that discovered this show through Legends. Um... I could be getting that confused, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. At any rate, Suzanne left this in response to episode 85, which was the episode where we looked at Jerry Siegel's appearance on the Fred Allen show. And Suzanne wrote, I enjoy all of your Superman podcasts, but especially loved this episode. As a fan of old-time radio, I may be biased, but it was wonderful to hear this Fred Allen clip with a young Jerry Siegel. It's unfortunate that Joe wasn't a part of this as well. And I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, I think I said in the episode, I don't know why Schuster wasn't included, but I I really wish that he would have been as well. By a lot of accounts, the time when that would have been recorded was an extremely busy period for the Schuster shop. They were managing the bi-monthly Superman book, a story per month for action, the Superman daily and Sunday newspaper strips, as well as all of the non-Superman material they produced, like Slam Bradley and Spy and Radio Squad and so on. There weren't a lot of people in the shop at that time and some were transitioning in and out. Uh, Like uh, Paul Cassidy was moving back to Milwaukee around that time and they were bringing in new people. So it's quite possible that Joe Schuster just couldn't get away long enough to do, to go to New York and do the show. I don't know. If it were me, I'd be tripping over myself to get there. Uh, but, you know, work comes first, so you just never know. Anyway, Suzanne continues. It's little treats like this that make your podcast so wonderful and unique. In addition to recapping Superman's stories, you also provide a glimpse into the era in which these stories were first read and heard. And thank you, Suzanne. And I really do try hard to give a perspective of the time when these were produced or or written because I I think that's important in understanding why these stories and the character struck such a chord with people. I don't know if you listen to the Hey Kids Comics podcast. I, I play promos for it in the show at times. But it's a show hosted by Andrew and Michael Leyland, who are a father and son. And it's it's really interesting at times hearing two different generations look at a story and just get their different perspectives on it. Uh, Plus, when you look at a story and judge a story, I think you have to look at it within the context of the time that it was produced. I think it's a little unfair to judge a story written in nineteen forty by the same standards that you judge a story written last year because it, it, storytelling methods and you know, like the amount of characterization and all that that changes or or it has changed as time moves forward. And to take a story from the golden age and 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 hold the writing and art to the same standards you would a story today, it's just not really unfair – or it's not really <laughs> – it is unfair, not really fair. There you go. So – but anyway, that that's why I try to give a feel of the time period for stories when I can because to me it's all part of trying to evaluate them. But anyway, thanks, Suzanne. It's always good to hear from you, and I really am happy that you continue to enjoy the show, uh, especially the radio episodes – whether you're biased towards those or no so that's it for the mailbag this time Uh, please keep writing in folks and I will be sure to give those a read on a future episode right now uh, it's time for a promo and then we will be back for some discussion about the fiendish yellow mask
1: In January 1937, President Franklin Roosevelt realized the world faced the greatest threat it has ever known, so he sent out a message.
2: Get me Ace Kilroy!
1: Soldier of fortune and all-around adventurer Ace Kilroy set off on his first mission, to head to Transylvania and stop the Nazis from turning Count Dracula and his vampire slaves into pawns of the Third Reich. in Transylvania, Ace Kilroy learned that vampires are real and narrowly escaped danger and death at every turn. Ace had to form an uneasy partnership with the Prince of Darkness in order to stop the Nazis' plan. And while they were successful, it ended with Ace swearing that someday he will find Dracula again and wipe him off the face of the earth. Ace has now returned to America for a well-deserved vacation, but he won't get to rest up for long. FDR has given him a new assignment, this time involving Frankenstein's monster. Ace Kilroy, the online daily comic strip, was launched on Halloween night in 2011 and has featured a new black-and-white strip every day with an extra-large color supplement on Sundays. The co-creation of writer-artists Rob Kelly and Dan O'Connor, Ace Kilroy quickly gained notoriety and rave reviews from such critics as The Onion AV Club, Robot 6, and Geekadelphia. With Ace about to head off on another dangerous mission, he needs your help. Via Kickstarter, pledge a donation to the Ace Kilroy fundraising campaign and help ensure Ace can continue in his fight against evil. There you can sign up to be a member of Ace's allies, receive special limited edition Ace Kilroy merchandise, original art, and be among the first to receive Ace Kilroy Volume 1, featuring the complete story arc, plus unseen bonus art and behind-the-scenes material. Follow Ace Kilroy every day on acekilroy.com.
0: For a bit of refresher, this was the eighteenth storyline from the radio serial. It was episodes one hundred three through one hundred seventeen and aired october seventh to november eighth, nineteen forty. The only Superman comic during that time was Action Comics number thirty, and the newspapers, for the most part, were dealing with storylines yet to be covered on the show. As I said, I hope you all heard episode eighty eight. But the nickel recap of the story is that as Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen were on their way back to the city by train, they came across a mystery involving some stolen jewels, a mysterious woman, and the yellow mask. The mysterious woman and the yellow mask eventually joined forces, but later the woman turned on him and was subsequently forgotten. As the story moved on, Clark, Jimmy, Lois Lane, and the police commissioner were captured by the Yellow Mask and locked in a concrete tank. By sheer good luck, Clark seized an opportunity to rescue the lot of them and then capture the Yellow Mask, who was promptly sent back to prison. Um, This arc has been given the titles The Return of the Yellow Mask and The Yellow Mask and the $5 Million Jewel Robbery. I held off on mentioning that last episode so as to not... the big reveal at the end of the story's first radio episode, which I actually thought was kind of a clever way to reintroduce the character. This is the third storyline to feature the Yellow Mask, making him Superman's most frequent foe on the radio show, and he's been voiced each time by Julian Noah. But even though the mask has a very distinctive voice and, and cadence to his speech, I'm sure that there were some listening to the show that didn't necessarily pick up on it at first. But as mentioned on an earlier episode of this show, this arc has the distinction of being the first radio storyline to be advertised in the comic books. An ad for it appeared in Superman number seven and Action Comics number thirty. Uh, those ads even going so far as to show an image of the Yellow Mask, who. They showed as basically a bald, mad scientist type with a yellow domino mask. That's still not how I picture the mask, but to each his own. Getting into the notes, um, episode 103, one thing I liked about the opening portion of this episode is when Clark is reading the paper, he talks about the headlines, including three murders and a jewel robbery. A short time later, Jimmy, turning the topic back to the news, brings up the jewel robbery again, and Clark replies, yep, to say nothing of the murders. And we find out later that the jewel robbery was, in fact, the jewels that the yellow mask was after. So I thought that was a great way to introduce the idea of the jewel theft earlier in the story. And best of all, they didn't hang a bell on it. I mean, they just mention it, along with the murders that never come up again, and move on. It was just a nice little subtle bit and something that demonstrates how the writing has improved in just the eight months that the show has been around. Um, I'm almost certain that the mysterious woman is voiced by Joan Alexander, marking her return to the show for the first time since August, even if Lois Lane doesn't show up for a few more episodes yet. And I also want to point out that Clark says Great Caesar's Ghost in this episode, which may be the first time that phrase has been uttered in a Superman story. Even though it was Clark and, and not Perry, given, given the uh, significance of the phrase in Superman mythology, I guess you might say, it seemed worth pointing out. And speaking of Bud Collier, he delivers an excellent vocal transition uh, shortly after that.
3: Boy, he's right. Those speeding cars did have something to do with this. I'd better look into it to do that, Clark Kent gives way to Superman.
4: I'll fly back along the tracks and see what happened on the highway. Now, out this door.
5: No one's looking. Good. Out we go. And up! Up! And away!
0: As hard as it may be to believe, he's actually getting better at that transition. Or or maybe he's just putting more emphasis on them. Um, Either way, I really, really love it. It's just such a... It's an iconic part of the character and such an important part, especially in a medium where you've only got the audio. I I can't even imagine how things like that would have worked had they had to have gone with two separate actors. I mean mean, obviously they wouldn't have had the voice transition. But man, if you just think about all of the future incarnations of the character – uh, you know, Christopher Reeve altered his voice. Um, Tim Daly in the animated series altered his voice. Obviously, neither went to the extreme that Bud Collier did with it. But yeah, I, I, it, it just kind of boggles the mind what the future of the franchise might have been had Bud Collier not been able to pull off both roles. Uh, But as the episode ends, we we have the revelation of the Yellow Mask, which, as I said earlier, was a uh, a clever means of reintroducing the character. Episode 104, I have no idea how the Yellow Mask got on board the train. They don't say that that the train stopped anywhere, and it doesn't make much sense that it would, given that Superman's actions pretty much pick up right where last episode ended. And if the mask was on the train the entire time, then I don't understand why his thugs were going to all the trouble of chasing down the car that had the jewels before they intersected, you know, the train. I I guess ultimately it's a minor hole, given some of the issues later on in the story, but still, it is an issue. So, the yellow mask impersonates a railroad detective and goes to talk to the woman. And when he hears about a reporter and a young boy, his ears immediately perk up, thinking it's Clark Kent. I guess it's a bit of a leap that he would hear about a reporter on a train in the middle of nowhere and assume it's Clark Kent, but given that Clark has been involved in the foiling of both of his plans so far, as well as the fact that uh, he foiled the plans of the wolf who was working for the mask— I like the idea that it's turned the yellow mask into this constantly paranoid guy who's always looking over his shoulder for Clark Kent. Uh, plus, all of the yellow mask's appearances came before, previous appearances, came before Jimmy was introduced. So I liked that, I liked the mask expressing some familiarity with him and Jimmy with the yellow mask, since they're going with the idea that Jimmy's been a part of the Daily Planet all along. He just never rated a mention prior to the problem with Donnelly and his mom's store. Um, episode 105. I loved the entire scene between the Yellow Mask and Jimmy.
3: So, you thought that it was Mr. Kent, Mr. Clark Kent of the Daily Planet? Yeah, but who are you?
6: You sound like a railroad detective. No, oh,
3: you're right. I'm not a detective. What are
6: you doing here? Why are you looking at me like that?
3: Where are the jewels? What? Now, don't fool with me, boy. Don't cry out and don't make a sound. Where are the jewels?
6: What do you want them for? Who are you?
3: So, then they are here. And as for who I am, I will tell you. The yellow mask. Yellow mask? Keep quiet. And you there in the corner, if I hear one sound out of you. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Now, that boy, hand them over at once. What, Jewels? I
6: don't know what you're talking about.
3: <laughs> Too late. You know what I'm talking about. The jewels are here, in this compartment. Give them to me. Be quick.
6: You can't frighten me. You think the jewels are here? Go ahead and find them.
3: Give me the jewels.
6: Go ahead and find them.
3: Now don't touch me! Quick, give
6: me that package of jewels. All I've got to say is you better be out of here before Clark Kent comes back. Clark
3: Kent? Eh? Well, nothing would please me better than a him face to face. I have a little score to settle with Clark Kent. He's not afraid of you. Now stop the chatter and hand over that package of jewels. Not much. Yes, you will. For the last time, boy. Away!
6: Don't you touch me! Don't you dare! A hand me, I'll yell
3: my head off Yell once, boy Just once And you'll never yell again Oh, Lord
6: Keep quiet, Porter. You don't dare hurt me Oh, no, you
3: think not Come here, you Well, no. Maybe you're right I knew you wouldn't dare There's a better way Much better You're a very brave boy Too brave to be frightened. I don't think that I could make you tell me Where the jewels are If you didn't want to but you will, Watson.
6: That's what you said. I say
3: yes. And why? Because, besides being brave, you are also loyal. Loyal to your friends. What do you mean? You would not wish them to come to harm. Especially your friend, Clark Kent. You see?
6: The is trying to mix me up. Better get out of here pretty quick, too, because Mr. Kendall will be back soon. I hope not,
3: Jimmy. For your sake and his sake both.
6: his sake... What are you talking about? Now
3: listen to me. Just outside this compartment, waiting in the vestibule, is a man named Paul. You know Paul? Oh, Too bad. A pity. He's very faithful. Always does exactly what I tell him. And this time, I told him that if Mr. Clark Kent returned while I was still in this room, to take care of Mr. Kent with a knife, he wouldn't do it couldn't. Mr. Kent walks into that vestibule before you and I have finished our talk. Are you listening? No. No. He will never walk anywhere again. Never. Now.
6: Stop him! Don't let him.
3: Where are the jewels?
6: Boys, here they are. Right here in this package. Take them. Take them quick and go. Boys,
3: thank you, Jimmy. You are a very smart boy. And now I'll leave you. I see the train is slowing down for a station.
0: Such great characterizations and dialogue for both. And, And such great performances from both actors. I absolutely love the way Noah portrays the yellow mask as this sinister creep. I mean, it's over the top and campy, but not in a trite or tiresome way. The tongue is firmly planted in the cheek, but in a way that fits perfectly with the tone of the show. And Jimmy is – got to admit, Jimmy is really starting to grow on me. The portrayal of him as this tough little kid with a penchant for getting into trouble, I really like it here in this era even if it wouldn't necessarily fit in a modern – or work as well in a modern context. Uh, Continuing on with the comments about the portrayal of Jimmy, I loved – and we're moving on in the episode a little bit, I loved that he did the old switcheroo with the jewels before he even knew that the yellow mask or the mysterious woman was a threat. It's like, what a smart-thinking little kid, you know? Like with Lois, and, and really even more so, the writers aren't just using Jimmy as bait for the villain's traps, but as an actual character with a brain that can have these heroic-type moments, even if he isn't punching crooks or or bouncing bullets off of his chest. Unfortunately, on a negative note, again, this episode, we have an issue of how people are getting on and off of a moving train. After the woman swipes the jewels, she somehow deboards the train and gets into a car to make her getaway. And if that wasn't bad enough, the yellow mask and Paul follow her. And as far as I'm able to tell there was no indication that the train stopped. Even though they did say it was slowing down to go into a station, it it clearly hadn't stopped yet. Uh, Thankfully, it did lead to a very cool moment where the mysterious woman in the yellow mask team up.
3: No need to go any further. Stand right where you are. Why, certainly. You fooled me very cleverly before, back here in the train. But not now, I think.
4: No, not now, my friend. Are you looking for something?
3: I think you know what I'm looking for. Hand over that package.
4: Package? Certainly. Here. Catch it.
3: You gave me a chase, but I've got them now. Congratulations, miss, on having done your best.
4: Yes, but my best and your best, too, is not quite good enough. What do you mean? Why do you think I stopped?
3: You realized you were caught?
4: What else? Oh, no. I stopped because I found out what's in that package. Maybe it'll stop you, too. Open it.
3: Empty. What have you done with the jewels? What have
4: I done with them? Ask your friends. Ask that young man from the newspaper. Or even better, ask that smart little boy.
3: You're trying to fool me again. You've got them in your car. If
4: that's so, why do you think I stopped? My car's plenty fast. Do you think I stopped to chat? No, my friends. I stopped because I found out. And because I wanted you to find out, too.
3: I see. At the moment, we score another for my friend, Mr. Clark Kent.
4: Oh, Clark Kent. I'll remember that. I don't think I like Mr. Kent. Nor
3: I. He has interfered with me before.
4: This is the first time I've met him. But it won't be the last.
3: You're a very clever girl. I said so before. And I think that we both... ...have the same goal. Go on. I don't make bargains, But this time, I'm going to break my rule. You give me your help against Clark Kent. Help me get the crown jewels. Yes. And when we do get them, I give you half. Well?
4: How do I know you'll do what you say?
3: Jewels are nothing to me. They're merely a means to an end. But Clark Kent... This time, he must not stand in my way. Well, what do you say?
4: I say yes, we'll work together. And now come. I have a plan already. While well, the train is still on the way to the city... Paul, oh, bring up the car. Listen, this Clark Kent doesn't know who he's up against now, but he'll learn. Oh, yes, he certainly will learn. Come, my friend. Come along while I tell you how.
0: I guess because it happens so seldomly in the Golden Age, Uh, the two instances where villains have met in the radio show have both been very exciting moments for me. Um, This woman's identity and what her goals, other than getting the jewels, are, are all still shrouded in mystery at this point. And while we unfortunately never really get an answer to that really, I was just super excited about the prospect of this alliance. And it could have added a little something extra to the mix. And to be fair, it did, at least for a little while. Um, Episode 106, we get a layering on of the mystery of the woman here. I mean, she's clearly the one calling the shots and coming up with the plan, even if she is relying on the Yellow Mask's resources and, and his manpower to make it happen. Uh, And that's interesting enough because she's the unknown party in the equation, but also because she's female, and there just haven't been that many female villains in Superman stories to this point. Uh, When they're trying to figure out how to get the jewels from the hotel, she also makes a comment saying that both she and her talents are well-known, leading one to believe that she's uh, a well-known criminal of some sort. And at the end of the episode we find out or we find that she's disguising herself as an elderly woman and then later sneaking into a hotel room where she's cracking a safe. So we have this mysterious figure with hints of a criminal past. She's a jewel thief that likes to disguise herself, and she's good at sneaking into places and cracking safes. It's just all very reminiscent of the portrayal of Catwoman in the early Uh, Golden Age Batman stories. And I'm not at all trying to imply that the radio writers uh, ripped off the cat. I mean, the femme fatale trope is is hardly... It was hardly originated with Bill Finger and Bob Kane, but it's just all very interesting, the the similarities between the two. Um, I also thought the hotel being full of police because of the visiting ambassador was a clever twist. I like when they're able to throw... Roadblocks into the villain's way, as well as the heroes, especially if they're unrelated to anything else going on in the story, because that's how life is. You know, stuff happens. Episode 107, Perry makes an appearance over the phone here, which is the first appearance of that character on the radio since, I think it was the beginning of the Bathysphere arc, because... um Clark has been gone from the city or, or metropolis, whatever you want to call it, for a number of episodes now, and Perry, he might have factored into a phone call at some point. Bill Wentworth called back to the city, but I don't remember if we actually ever heard him talking to Perry on that phone call or if it was just the tail end when he was hanging up. Um, it's interesting, though, even though Perry is what I would call a bigger part of the radio show than the comics or newspapers, he's still really only being used at the beginning and sometimes middle of the stories as part of the catalyst to get Clark, or Clark and Lois, involved in the plot. You know, he's there as the boss, but only the only role he really serves is to help along the exposition. And that's kind of unfortunate because I really like the depiction of the character on the radio so far, and and I look forward to when he becomes a bigger part of the serial. Um, Clark's piloting knowledge comes into play here again, though I have to wonder, where does he keep renting all these planes? It just seems like wherever he is, if he needs a plane, he just goes and rents one, which is equal parts hilarious and ridiculous. So, when they get back to the city, not Metropolis, mind you, just the city, there's still not been a single mention of Metropolis since the Happy Land Amusement Park storyline, and it only got one mention there. But they get back to the city, and Clark makes this harrowing landing within city limits. Now, granted, it was by the Parkway Tower building, which they went out of their way several times to point out was abandoned. But this is a major metropolitan city. Even at night, you'd think that someone would notice this small plane landing well away from any airport or landing strip. Um, Episode 108, after a great cliffhanger uh, of the mysterious woman disappearing off the subway train, we open this episode with one of the show's infamous Leaps in Time. They are back in Perry's office and get almost three solid minutes of recap, and then Perry tells them about the other plane crashes, and they're off to the airport. It just feels like the story took an abrupt right turn. And even worse, this was a Friday episode. I mean, if they're going to do these things and have these unnatural transitions, I just think it would make more sense to do them on a Monday when they've got the weekend separating episodes. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised that the Bill Wentworth character was mentioned again. I, I still think the writers forgot about him at the end of the Bathysphere arc. And there is a time issue as to how he was able to recover, get back to the city, and spend a week investigating into the plains and what was ostensibly only a few days that Clark and Jimmy spent dealing with Dead Man's Island. But at the same time, I can forgive that... I guess I can forgive that given the time when these were written. And I really am glad that they mentioned him again and that he was involved in the stuff with Manal. so that, you know, that's not a, a dangling plot thread out there. Unfortunately, after his plane comes in and disappears, he's never mentioned again. Again. <laughs> uh, even after it's revealed what's happening to the missing planes, and it becomes pretty clear that anyone on board them, including Bill Wentworth, is dead, no one sheds a tear for Bill. Much like with the Bathysphere arc, he's simply forgotten about as the story moves on. Which is really, really bad. Episode 109, in this episode, we get the explanation of why the Parkway Tower was built and then immediately abandoned. And the reason, conveniently factoring into the Yellow Mask's plot, is that the building is surrounded by quicksand. Now, that's a reasonable excuse, right? Right. And then you remember that quicksand, deep enough to swallow multiple airplanes, isn't something that can just be overlooked for months while a building is constructed. And you, you just can't build a multi-story building and then, oops, giant quicksand pit. I mean, it, it just doesn't just show up. So it's a really flimsy background for this huge abandoned building right next to a marsh of quicksand. It doesn't ruin the story, but it does rate mentioning. But we also find out that the mask is responsible for the deaths of dozens of people. I mean, they make it pretty clear that the people in the planes didn't escape before the the quicksand took the plane. Sadly, much like Bill Wentworth, when the quote-unquote, good guys find this out, there's nary a tear shed. They just move right along with the story. I guess it shouldn't surprise me that the mask has so much blood on his hands. I mean, he was willing to wipe out an entire town of... the, uh, the entire town of Dyerville just to make some kind of point. But it just really took me back that he has killed many, many people and it's just glossed right over. I, I just really wish they would deal with that more, but I don't know. Maybe that's something that can be just chalked up to the time when these were written. I don't know, but I, I would still like it dealt with more than none at all like it was in this story. I, I did really like how the mysterious woman, who we still haven't learned much about, mind you, for the second time gets to drop on the yellow mask by holding him at gunpoint and then locking him inside his own hideout and escaping with the jewels. I love the way that they built her up as a real threat. I only wish they would have actually done something with her instead of letting her fade away once she was caught. My final comment about this episode is that we are at the end of Episode 7, and Superman's confrontation with the mysterious woman is only the second Superman scene so far. And neither have been major scenes. It's just pretty much a quick change, a short outing, and it's back to Clark. What's interesting, though, is that the story has kept moving. And I have some issues with the overall length of the story, which I'll talk about later. But the pace, so far anyway, has kept moving. And they've, they've really done a good job of keeping the tension and drama up. Um, there really hasn't been a place where I found myself saying, you know, I really wish they'd have some Superman here. And in fact, it wasn't until I went back and was thinking about the events of each episode and doing my notes and the synopsis and stuff that I actually noticed the lack of Superman. So kudos to the writers for being able to do that, and kudos to the writers and the actors for giving us such well-rounded characters and, and portrayals of both Clark and Jimmy, as well as the yellow mask for that matter, that they're able to carry a story without the title character. Episode 110. This episode, we learn that the mysterious woman that we've followed for eight episodes is... Chicky Larimer. Who? There was a lot of build-up for this woman. You know, she's enigmatic. She's a jewel thief. She's a master of disguise. She's holding people at gunpoint and turning the tables on the yellow mask, who is, like I said, the most frequent recurring foe of the radio show. And in the scene... Directly after the one where she's captured, we hear a news report that calls her the queen of a billion-dollar jewel ring. And she turns out to be Chicky Larimer, someone who we've never heard of before, and if the rest of the story is any indication, we're not likely to hear of again. It's just very, very disappointing. Even more so that they stick her in jail, and once Lois's impersonation is blown... We don't even hear her name mentioned again. It's all about the yellow mask. It doesn't make any sense to me that Clark and Jimmy would so easily believe everything she told them. Even if she did appear to have a change of heart after Superman saved her from the quicksand. And I just don't understand what the point was of building her up like they did, only to not really do anything with her. I liked the idea, I liked the build-up, but then it just kind of fizzled, and it's like, what's the point? Uh, But this episode introduces the city's police commissioner, Bill Malone, though we don't actually learn his name until later episodes. Um, Anyway, it sounds to me like he was voiced by Julian Noah, and I say that because he sounds almost exactly like Perry White. Uh, But Lois Lane gets a mention in this episode, but doesn't actually make a return until next episode. And speaking of episode 111, at the beginning here, Clark and Jimmy's car hits the open drawbridge. It rockets into the air and splashes down into the river, sinking below the murky water. We then cut to another scene, and when we come back to Clark and Jimmy, it's like nothing at all has happened. Oh oh, sure, they talk about it, but only in recap mode. Clark and Jimmy are already back on the road, somehow finding a car to rent in the meantime, and are going along happy as you please. And apparently, also in the interim, they had talked to the night watchman because they found out that the Yellow Mask rigged the, or the, that his men rigged the bridge. So there's no dramatic rescue, no time the characters are are in peril, no dynamic Superman moment, no action or suspense, just nothing. We, we have the car going into the bridge, and then it's over. It, it's frustrating to hear these episodes and have all this build-up to these interesting concepts and, and dramatic moments, and then they just gloss right over them. But on a brighter note, this episode features the return of Joan Alexander as Lois Lane. As mentioned in a previous episode, the reason she's been absent for several months is that Alexander was actually fired from the role. Years later, she explained that she was fired because Bob Maxwell wasn't satisfied with her in the role. Given that Alexander was the third actress to portray the character, and all within just a few months, I've wondered if Maxwell wasn't just very, very particular on how he thought the character should be portrayed. Either way, or for whatever reason, it was. The story goes that Maxwell was auditioning other actresses, and Bud Collier convinced him to let Alexander try out again. So she came in, auditioned blind, and re-won the part. And after that, she became the voice of Lois Lane, retaining the role throughout the duration of the radio show, all 17 Fleischer and famous shorts, and then reprising the role in the 1960s filmation cartoons. Other than Noelle Neal, she is, to me, the most iconic of the lowest Lane actresses. Uh, that doesn't mean she's the most well-known. I, I think Margot Kidder and Terry Hatcher uh, are, are probably more well-known to the public, but only because the majority of the non-Superman fan public simply haven't heard any of the radio show Um, they may have heard the Fleischer cartoons possibly the Filmation series but the radio show is it's not really elusive but it's just not as in your face as the other things are because it is an audio only medium and people seem to not have the tolerance for things when they're not visually stimulated these days um But while the character was portrayed by a few different actresses in uh, live-action incarnations, it wasn't until Super Friends in the 1970s that another actress would give voice to Lois Lane. Uh, But this plan to put Lois Lane in the cell and have her her pretend to be chicky, just on the in-case that the yellow mask sends someone to break her out, well, it's, it's a very typical kind of plan hatched in these shows. I mean, you'd never see it in quote-unquote real life, and hopefully not in a modern story. Okay, I can totally see them doing it on Smallville or Lois and Clark. But I think the difference there is that it would be Lois coming up with the plan completely on her own, rather than Clark or the, the police commissioner or, or whoever it is putting her up to it. But what I'm trying to set, get at is I really I'd really like some background on this plan with Clark and the commissioner you know I want to see them going to Lois and presenting her with the idea of putting herself in a cell as bait for a villain with absolutely no qualms about killing people because you know th- there's absolutely no chance that the, that the mask might try to kill her or trap her in a pit or anything. <clears throat> Um, I think right now what we're going to do is actually take a break. We are at about the same spot that I, that I took a break last episode. So uh, I'm going to go get some water and, and uh, clear this frog out of my throat. Uh, in the meantime, just kick back and relax and listen to a promo for a very awesome podcast that you should be listening to. And then we'll come back and wrap up my thoughts on the last six episodes.
2: Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape.
0: Episode 112 While it isn't apparent only from the synopsis this episode features a new addition to the show in the form of new regular announcer George Lothar. If you are at all familiar with Superman in animated form, you've no doubt heard Lothar's voice as he was the one who narrated the opening of the Fleischer cartoons.
7: Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound... This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the Man of Steel, Superman. Empowered with X-ray vision, possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent.
0: Lothar also served as one of the radio show's writers, and when the show goes to five days a week, a, a short stretch down the road, will serve as director as well, taking over from the current director, Jack Johnstone. Lothar brings a much more dynamic and, and urgent narration to the show. I didn't have any real issues with the previous narrators. I mean, they served their purpose. But Lothar's exciting style is a much... It's much more fitting the action and adventure-based serial that Superman is.
7: And now, Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who has come to Earth possessed of physical powers far beyond those of mortal men, and to wage his a never-ending battle against crime and oppression, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. When we last saw Kent, he and young Jimmy Olsen and police commissioner Malone were crouched in the darkness in a weed grown field, waiting for the yellow mask to walk into a trap that had been set for him. As the minutes sped by and the mass failed to appear, Kent wondered what had gone wrong. Then suddenly, a silver monoplane came out of the east. Its searchlight sweeping the fields. Without warning, it went into a power dive, hurtling down on Kent, Jimmy, and the Commissioner like some giant bullet. Motor roaring, wind screaming with destruction. Listen.
0: And we will be hearing a lot more, both from and about Lothar, as we continue on because he stays as narrator of the show until uh, late 1943. And, as I said, also narrates the Fleischer cartoons. But to get into the episode itself, when Clark is reading the letter from the Yellow Mask, he mentions to the commissioner about the mask trying to flood Dyerville. I always appreciate the nods to previous stories. I remain very impressed at the show's willingness to continually reference previous episodes. Well, not just episodes, but uh, storylines as a whole. I mean, even storylines that happened months ago. It may not seem much at all to us today, but for an afternoon serial aimed at kids in 1940, it's much more impressive, especially when you compare it to the comics and newspapers that rarely reference past storylines. But then we get a description of the yellow mask.
7: Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Tri-State Emergency Alarm 4327. Wanted. Man known as the Yellow Mask. Age about 45. Weight 160, 160. Height 5 feet 6. Last seen vicinity Parkway Tower building. Reported once. I will repeat. Tri-State Emergency Alarm 4327. Wanted.
0: Adding that to the image in the advertisement for the storyline from the comics, and we get a pretty good idea of what the yellow mask looks like, which, even though it doesn't really line up with what I had envisioned in my head before, I, I still think is pretty cool. Um, we have seen before on the show, or heard before on the show, I guess, how it will sometimes speak to the listener. You know, they'll, they'll break the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall, I guess you could say. There was an instance of that in the episode, or in this episode, as Clark and Jimmy are at police headquarters waiting to hear from Lois and or for the mask to be rounded up.
6: You know, Mr. Kemp, I often wonder why there have to be people like the yellow mask in the world. Why can't everyone be honest and decent?
5: Most everyone is, Jimmy. There are just a few people who think they can get away with being dishonest, but they can't. Sooner or later, the law catches up with them. I'll take it
0: spend a lot of time patting him on the back on this show, but big credit to Bud Collier for being able to deliver that line and not make it sound preachy, campy, or both. If you don't believe me, imagine Adam West trying to do that circa 1966. Episode 113, oh hey look, Superman shows up for the third time in a dozen episodes, and then he's gone again just as quickly for the third time in a dozen episodes. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. I mean, I'd I'd rather have a lack of the Man of Steel than scenes of him shoehorned in where they don't need to be. And I still feel the characters are doing a great job of carrying the story despite Superman's absence. But at this point, a little more Superman in the story wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, But it did lead... Superman's brief appearance did lead to a neat bit of dialogue between Clark and Jimmy.
5: Mr. Kent. Yes, Jimmy. Did you
6: really knock this guy out?
5: Why, yes. Don't you believe me?
6: Sure, I believe you all right, but, well, I'm just wondering.
5: Wondering, Jimmy? Wondering about what?
6: Well, oh, maybe I was seeing things.
5: Well, I don't understand, Jimmy. Oh, Forget it. No, no. Now tell me what's on your mind.
6: Well, I saw those two men come out of the woods. Yes? And I heard the shots, and
5: uh-huh.
6: a second after that, another man jumped across the road. Oh, sure. That was I, Jimmy. I didn't look like you. I thought it was Superman. You, you thought it. <laughs> what's the matter?
5: <laughs> well, thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> sure, it isn't everyone who's mistaken for Superman.
6: Uh, you're just making fun of me.
5: No, not at all. Uh, oh, here's the car. here yeah.
0: I love it. Is this the first time there has been a specific case of mistaken identity between Clark and Superman? I, I know there have been comments about his identity being found out. There was the instance where the burglar learned his identity before dying... Or on the radio show, especially, where he has, you know, revealed himself to people. But I can't think of any scenes that so specifically laid out the idea of someone seeing Clark and mistaking him for Superman. Or the other way around. Either way, it's just a really neat scene, and I loved Clark's reaction. And for that matter, Jimmy's reaction to Clark's reaction. Um, Episode 114... Clark Kent, the guy with x-ray vision, super hearing, and the ability to see in the dark, spends way too much time looking around this house for Jimmy and the Commissioner. Notice how they conveniently forget about his uh, super sense powers when it comes to things like this. Actually, notice how how often they forget about all of Superman's powers, except for strength and flight, and maybe a hint of super speed. It's funny, though, because if he had used his X-ray vision or or whatever, he would have had to change to Superman first to do it. Because that's how things work. Clark Kent can't fly. Only Superman can. Duh. And that actually brings up a good point about later in the episode. Clark finally comes face-to-face with the yellow mask. And the mask kindly agrees to take him to see Lois as proof that she's not been injured or killed or whatever. And I'm just thinking, Um, Clark, why not just knock the mask out? You've got the jewels. Surely there's some charge the mask has wanted on, since they keep referring referring to him as an international criminal. Heck, abducting Lois and holding her against her will, at the very least. But knock him out, save Lois and the others, the end. How hard is that? And I know it shouldn't bother me. Part of it you just have to accept with the story. But... Yeah. Episode 115, I liked the commissioner's reluctance to cede to the yellow mask demands. It makes sense that as head of a police force for a great metropolitan city, he would take the, you know, we don't negotiate with terrorists stance. And I also liked that – shifting gears slightly I, – I also liked that Lefty and Joe decided to take the jewels for themselves and just run for the border. It's like finally, you know? All this time in these stories you have thugs doing the dirty work for the big boss. And it's about time that one of them just took the money and ran. Um, Too bad that it's ultimately a moot point since since they go and, and then go back to the yellow mask anyway. But I like the idea that someone finally thought of it. I would have loved for them to run. And then have Clark find some way out of the pit and catch the yellow mask, just like he did. And then for the next storyline, the next storyline could have been like a big cross-country road race as Superman, or, or, well, Clark and Jimmy, pursue Lefty and Joe trying to get the jewels back. There's a nice moment of paranoia in the final episodes, or several moments, actually, Uh, when Joe and Lefty realize the police are after them in the stolen squad car. And at that point, they're kind of stuck because, you know, they're facing jail or the wrath of the Yellow Mask. And it just would have been really interesting to see that play out over a number of episodes, especially if you throw some awareness of Superman into the mix, which I think they could have done because they probably would have killed Lefty and Joe at the end of the storyline anyway. But alas, that's not what happened. Um, episode 116, near the beginning of this episode, during the obligatory expositional recap dialogue, the commissioner unleashes a tirade against the yellow mask. And the mask's response is rather cryptic.
5: Where are the
7: girls? Sullivan may have been delayed, or maybe he's waiting at the crossroads now.
5: I sent two of my men out to meet him. They haven't returned.
7: That's not our business. We did as you said. Personally, I hope you never get the jewels. You're nothing but a thieving, half-mad murderer. And if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to see you
5: burn in the electric chair. Commissioner, please. Yes. Lois and Jimmy are sleeping. Try not to wake them up. They need all the rest they can
0: get. On the contrary,
3: Commissioner Malone, I think I shall have the pleasure of seeing you burn. Yes. What does he mean? just an idle threat.
0: I thought for sure at that point that... There was more to that comment. Maybe the pit was rigged with flamethrowers, or the mask was going to try and, you know, burn the cabin down around them or something. But sadly, much like Clark said, it was just an idle threat, as the mask's plans seem to have had nothing to do with fire. Which is kind of disappointing. I mean, if you're going to go to all the trouble and expense of building a deserted cabin in the middle of the woods and then rigging it with a trapdoor that leads into an iron-bar-covered concrete retaining pit large enough to comfortably hold four people, why not install some flamethrowers? I mean, that's just good, common supervillain sense. And a lot easier than waiting for hostages to starve to death, and a whole lot smarter than leaving them to die of cancer. And as I mocked last podcast episode, at the end of this episode... Just how was Superman able to smash a man-sized hole through a six-foot-thick concrete retaining wall without waking Jimmy or Lois? I mean, what kind of writing is that? Episode 117, which is the final episode in this uh, epic 15-part arc, Clark's assumption that Lefty and Joe double-crossed the yellow mask might have been a bit much, but I loved the mask's umbrage at the idea that anyone would dare double-cross him. Even though it's happened in almost every story with the yellow mask so far, including twice in this one. And I also loved the mask's absolute cowardice when confronted by someone with real power, I mean, i.e. Superman. The mask has been shown to be a, a real threat, and completely oblivious to the sanctity of human life. But when faced with his own imminent demise, well, that's when his true nature rears its head. And since I complain when it happens, I want to take a moment to point out that neither the Mask, Lefty, or Joe were killed. All were knocked out and presumably sent to jail. I don't know if this is a sign of a turning point for Superman in the radio show as far as killing less much like is happening over in the comic books but I, I do want to point it out, kind of earmark it and we'll, we'll see as we keep going forward um, but yes, the threat of the yellow mask is restrained for this episode but he will hopefully for our listening pleasure be back to Menace Superman another day Unfortunately, we can't say the same for good old Bill Wentworth. But, poor Bill Wentworth. Forgotten and left for dead in Manow, and then finally killed and completely forgotten about back in the city. Alas, Bill Wentworth, we hardly knew ye. Overall, this storyline had a lot of good points. It, It had a lot of strengths. There were several good cliffhangers that were all dealt with properly, Aside from the one where they, again, did the ridiculous jump forward in time trick. The Yellow Mask is a great villain, and, as always, well written and excellently portrayed. Noah, he hits all the perfect notes in the delivery of the lines, that you can feel the wickedness in it, but it's not... Well, okay, it is over the top, and... and campy but like I said it it hits that perfect tongue-in-cheek note that it's not silly and and you know well it, it's, it's campy but it's not the bad kind of campy it's a very good kind of campy and I hope we get a lot more villains like this in the future of the radio show really all the characters seemed pretty spot on both in writing and portrayal I guess you could say that Lois was a little softer than maybe we've come to expect, but most of the time that she was in this storyline, she was in the clutches of the yellow mask. So, I can understand her not being so sharp-tongued as in other stories. And I did like seeing Joan Alexander return, finally, uh, and for good. Aside from some minor issues that seem to happen in all uh, all the stories from this era, it was a pretty solid story. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I'm still really disappointed that they did all the build-up to the mysterious woman and then just seemed to forget about her two-thirds of the way through the story. I realized this 1940, but it seemed like they were really going somewhere with that, and then it was just gone. But other than that, it was a pretty solidly told story. But overall, i got to say that quite a bit of it seemed dull. I think the biggest problem was that it was just far too long. I think they could have gotten away with making this a 12-part story, maybe even nine if they really, really pushed themselves in the writing room. There wasn't much Superman at all in the story, as I've pointed out. Only four real Superman scenes in... 15 episodes, and none were that significant except for the final one. As I said, I, I hate for this to be a complaint. I mean, I'd rather they not shoehorn in Superman scenes where they don't belong, but this story may have benefited with just a touch more of the main hero proportionally, which, reducing the number, the number of episodes in the story, could have done. Um, I'm happy that Lothar's come in as announcer, he, he brings a real air of excitement to each episode with his uh, bombastic and dynamic delivery. And plus, being familiar with his voiceover on the Fleischer cartoons, which was um, my first exposure to this cast of actors, it's almost like the old gang is back together again, even though chronologically they were on the radio show first. Um, if you're interested in hearing this arc for yourself, it, it's never been released, like, unfortunately, pretty much all of the radio shows we'll be covering from for, for a good long while. It was, however, adapted in the December 1941 issue of Radio and Television Mirror. Unfortunately, though, I don't have that issue, so I can't tell you what was cut out or how it was adapted. Obviously, given the amount of chopping they had to do on the six-episode arcs, I'm sure this 15 episode 1 was significantly uh cut to pieces, but I think I, I think you could pretty easily do this one because there was a lot of scenes that could be taken out and you wouldn't even know it. Uh they they could probably even take out all the stuff with the mysterious woman and you would never even know. You know, the 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 diamonds just get thrown through the train window into a random woman's cabin and then we never hear from her again after, after that uh, but there you go I'm hoping at some point I can get my hands on all these issues of radio and television mirror that I don't have and maybe I can do a special episode uh, looking back at them and, and comparing them especially once we get done with all the adaptations uh, but we'll have to save that for a much later episode
4: This is Bane. Listen to this promo for the BatmanUniverse.net or I'll break you. The BatmanUniverse.net, your source for all things related to the Dark Knight, including the latest news related to the comics, movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and much more. Each month, an assortment of podcasts are produced, including a bi-monthly comic podcast, special commentaries and interviews, the Batman Universe specials, and a podcast which
0: delves into TV, movie, merchandise, video game news, and beyond. Keep up to date with everything about Batman. Get to know the kooky and lovable casts of the podcasts. Listen to in-depth conversations about the latest direct-to-video movies. And increase your knowledge about the Dark Knight and his family, only at thebatmanuniverse.net.
4: I'm Dustin, from the BatmanUniverse.net, and I approve this message.
7: Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. Moment that we were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen.
0: By the mystic guardians of the universe.
1: Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and
2: courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath.
0: In brightest day, in blackest night.
2: No evil shall escape my sight.
0: Let those who worship evil's might beware my power.
2: Green Green Lantern's Lanterns Light. Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today.
0: Say the oath, join the Corps.
1: Green Lanterns Light Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com
0: And that is where we are going to close out this episode... I want to thank you very much for bearing with me on the awkward coverage of this storyline. Like I said, future storylines where I have to break it over multiple episodes, I will do synopsis and commentary for a chunk of episodes, and then synopsis and commentary for a chunk of episodes, because I I think it just flows better that way. Uh, Unfortunately, This whole storyline was kind of a mess up uh, with my job situation and all. Uh, But we got through it, and I think it did as well as it could probably do. Um, Next week, I will hopefully be joined by a special guest for a look at Superman number 8. So please come back. In the meantime, please stop by the website at greatkrypton.com, where you will find show notes, all back episodes of the show, and other superman related content from time to time if you have questions comments or feedback you can also leave comments on individual show posts there or if email is more your thing you can email me directly at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com links to the show's facebook page and twitter feed can also be found at the site and you can follow the show on either one of those to get updates and news when I have it as well as other show related Information as, as it comes up or you can also send me feedback through those sites and I will be happy to read that on the air if you would like to subscribe to the show you can do so via RSS feed or iTunes and links to both of those can be found at the site as well as always if you use iTunes I appreciate any and all iTunes reviews and I'm happy to read those on the, on the show as well Don't forget about the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network. Not only are those sites home to a whole lot of Superman-related awesomeness, but you will also find updates whenever there is a new episode of this show as well. And finally, I want to invite you to check out my other podcast, Green Lanterns Light, which I co-host with J. David Weider and Jeffrey Taylor. Episode 12 should be out within a week or so, if it isn't already by the time you hear this. And it's a perfect jumping on point as we begin a brand new era for the character of Green Lantern. So get on board now. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
4: Flash your
3: light, Joe. Okay. Lamp that ice.
5: What a haul. Why, this sparkler alone must be worth ten grand if it's worth a nickel. And look at
6: this
4: one.
5: Hey, Joe.
6: I got an idea. Yeah? I got an idea we ain't turning this stuff over to the
7: Oh, What do you mean?
3: I mean we're keeping it for ourselves. Ain't got a a double cross, lefty So what? Come on, we're scramming with this stuff. All the copper out of this car, we'll take it.